Probably science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. We're recording on a weekend. After you uh, re- returned triumphant from Indio, California? Yes. I did a show in Indio, California. I did a show at Coachella, but <laughs> very much not at Coachella. I meant to even say that on stage. This is, It was like the antithesis of Ch- Coachella. It was a retirement community? It was a... I, I've done one before for the same promoter and didn't realize yet again... Oh, no, I've done several gigs before for the same promoter, but this... One of them was like an actual out-and-out retirement community where everyone was probably average age, sort of 75 to 80. Uh This one was like, you know, people, this had a kind of like 55 to 60 kind of vibe. Like a lot of just people who've pulled their retirement money and now drive around a nice area and golf carts and probably swap partners. Like they really had that kind of feel to Uh, it. Ah, okay, yeah. That's where the gig was last night, but it was a four hour, or two hours each way journey. Something about swinging and golf carts does kind of go together in my mind. It really I don't know does. Why that is, but that is the official vehicle of swingers. I feel like. Well, I think it's because you can get in and out silently. <laughs> yeah. There's no disturbing people when you're leaving, when you're moving condo to condo late at night. Mm-hmm. It's all battery powered. <laughs> it's. How soon till we can live this life? What, what do we have to do in our current lives to get to that point soon? Well, this one was also. This one felt like a wealthier one than the other one. This one felt like people had really. Yeah. Like, no more, like, the kids have left home, no having to pay tuition or mortgages. They look cashed out, and they look like they're enjoying their final few decades. It's just flip-flops and golf carts all day? Exactly. Not bad. Must be nice. Must be nice. That was my gig. That's where my career's at, in case anyone's wondering. (laughs) I do, you didn't say that on stage, obviously. (laughs) That's, like, one of my least favorite tropes of... Of stand-up. We should bring our guest in, who's also a comedian, and can comment on these things. They're very funny. Matt Monroe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks hey, Matt. with us. Nice what's, uh, what's the oldest average age audience you've played? Uh, I have done a retirement community. Yep. Uh, it was probably about the same age as what you were saying, 50s to 60s. And it's always just a weird vibe. Yeah, of course. I mean, it never feels like they want us to be there. It feels this like one actually did. This one, this one really... The other one, I felt less so. It was more... The other one was also, just to give you an idea of what the other gig was like, the gig started at five, uh, the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is so... And I, ch- I thought someone was making a joke, but it's not. This is actually so that the show is finished and people can get back to their place in time for Wheel of Fortune. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say early dinners or something. Yeah. Nope. Wheel of Fortune. Well, they're going to eat their dinner in front of, of Wheel course, of Fortune. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. Isn't that like, like Branson? All the shows in Branson are like five o'clock mm-hmm. shows? Like Yakov's? Uh, oh, yeah. Yakov Smirnov has a theater there, doesn't he? I think yes, a few people like that. Yeah. It's like a place that if you had some kind of medium celebrity in the 80s, you can now have your own theater and do like three shows an afternoon, five days a week or something in Branson. I've never been to Branson. It seems fascinating. Supposedly it's very cool. I haven't been there really? either, but supposedly for, for our it, age, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the town is cool, yeah. but I think like Yakov's Smear, that that theater is very cool and okay. people seem to like it. <laughs> and I think, I mean, three shows by done by nine o'clock seems pretty good to no, me. I, I'm not. I mean, maybe I'm just old. No, he's got a great <laughs> career going. No, it's great for him. It's great for them. I mean, but then like how? So it's all retirees. How many times could the same people see him? Though I wonder if it's not vacationing people if it's yeah i'm not sure i don't know if it's always him i don't know I if guess it like depends the... on their memory that's yeah. a very good point yeah <laughs> no better place and this is like that's where it's in the ozarks right so when you watch it ozark so, yeah. is that that's what branson kind of looks like sort of i think I it's out, it's out there in the sticks yeah 
Are you on the road much these days? Not this year. Generally, in general, I am. This year has been pretty slow for me. I uh, had some gigs in Chicago earlier in the year, and then I'm always back and forth to Denver, where I used to live. Right. Uh, so I was just there for the the comedy festival that we have every year there. High Plains. High Plains last last week, yeah, which is always a good time. Yeah. But uh, no, I've just been sort of uh, withering away in Los Angeles like the rest of us for the most part this year. <laughs> Solid withering. We choose to live here. I know. <laughs> I'm totally here. If, nothing is keeping me here. And if you I wither a bit too much, then I will come out and entertain you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will drive two hours to the middle of the, what is it, the Central Valley? Where you went? Yeah. The Coachella Valley. Right. Isn't that what it's called? Oh, I guess thing? it is, yeah. Yeah. How far was it? Uh, it was about three hours there, two hours back. That's, uh, that's a lot. That's like almost on the Salton Sea? I guess. I've never been there. I really, I can't believe I haven't either. We should do a live probably science from the Salton Sea. It's d- the d- craziest, yeah. D- I don't know if, for listeners who don't know, in fact, I, what is the We've origin? We've talked about it, right? I don't know if we actually have. It's one of the biggest uh, man-caused accidental environmental catastrophes, basically. I mean, you know the history of it? or I don't know anything about it. Only about 100 years ago, there was a project that was doing something to reroute the doing something related to the Colorado River and they accidentally dug through this wall into the Coachella Valley and the river drained into the valley and created the Salton Sea which is like not very deep but the size of like Lake Tahoe oh wow so and so it was fresh water initially because it was a river but then it had no outlet to the ocean so it yeah. got more and more salty as it evaporated and also had like agricultural died. runoff like at first it was a very it was actually prized real estate because it was suddenly this sort of artificial this man-made lake right yeah, it was like rat pack uh resort place in the 50s people oh like i have water heard about that and shit. yeah but then it just got more and more dead that's right now, i'm pretty sure like the beachfront isn't even sand it's all fish bones and it just stinks nothing's alive in it it's our chernobyl it really <laughs> is and like i heard um there was a podcast talking about the fact that even though it was an accident like, now it's developed its own ecosystem so even efforts to like drain it or th- that would change this new I mean, maybe it's shittier because it smells bad, but, you know, there's a whole, like, biosphere that exists around that weird, salty place. Like, Sonny Bono, when he was mayor of Palm Springs, tried to get a thing passed to connect it to the Gulf of California so it would, like, meet meet equilibrium with the ocean as far as salinity. It says here in the Wikipedia articles, the Salton Sea had some success as a resort area with Salton City, Salton Sea Beach, and Desert Shores on the Western Shore, Desert Beach, North Shore, and Bombay Beach, all built around on the Eastern Shore. However, many settlements substantially shrank in size or have been abandoned, mostly due to increasing salinity and pollution of the lake over the years from agricultural runoff and other sources. Many of the species of fish that lived in the sea have been killed off by the combination of pollutants, salt levels, and algal blooms. Dead fish have been known to wash up in mass quantities on the beaches. The smell of the lake combined with the stench of the decaying fish also contributed to the decline of the tourist industry (laughs) around the Salton Sea. God, those... Tourists these days really are just like this. It's millennials. Right. Yeah, it's Thank bad. you. It's prissy millennials. I got to go on Yelp and tell the salt and sea that it smells bad. Oh, I don't like walking on fish bones. <laughs> I don't like the it's stench of a thousand rotting carcasses. <laughs> a thousand. It's millions. Having not been there. Yeah, I got, I got to go. There's also that crazy town east of there that's like permanent Burning Man. Slab City, East Jesus. Yeah, I used to have some that? friends. Man. I think I do actually still have some friends who live around there who live just like oh, there some of the year. I gotta get out there, and and there's a great there's like one bar in Bombay Beach that looks super fun. There's only one bar. There's like two streets, right. twenty houses, and and this 
Seems like a good area. Crazy, yeah. I'm gonna move yeah. there. It's better. It sounds better than L.A. It's not bad. I mean, <laughs> if you look on Airbnb, you can find accommodation for like less than thirty dollars a night. Wow. <laughs> Again, that's stench of decaying stench fish. Of decaying fish. <laughs> but you know, quirky for for like a weekend. Uh, yeah, many people now visit the Salton Sea and the surrounding settlements to explore the abandoned structures and see the squatter settlement of Slab City. Yeah. Oh, they don't even pay. They've just, they're just squatters, huh? Well, I guess it, it is a community now. It has its own sort of unofficial government, kind of in a very yeah. It's a community of fishbone mongers. Yeah, in a <laughs> sort of anarchic fashion. They don't mind the stench. They also there's evidence of geothermal activity, mud spots, and mud volcanoes, and there are some geothermal electricity generation plants located along the southeastern shore. The U.S. Geological Survey describes the set smell as objectionable, noxious, unique, and pervasive. <laughs> unique. That sounds like real estate terminology. Yeah. It's a very charming right. one bedroom. Co- oh, it's 300 square feet. It's cozy. Yeah. yeah. Very cozy. It, it really does have a unique stench. <laughs> Should I use the word? St- I've got to stop using the word stench. That really drives people. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Gotta remember aroma. aroma. You say aroma. Unique aroma. Unique aroma. Unique aroma could be good or bad. Stench is always bad. You nailed it. Floral stench? <laughs> no, it's still stench. Yeah, if we could find what's a re- that, uh, excuse to. What's that stench you got from the airport? The in duty free. <laughs> you know my that CK one is my new Calvin Klein. Yeah, stench, yeah. yeah, the stench to toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, even that toilet water. Why did they decide that that's a good? Uh, it also doesn't sound good. It does not sound good. Does toilet mean like in the French? I think it's in the, the sense of like room, toiletries. Like the bathroom is. Yeah, the, like. Yeah, refresh refreshment. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not toilet water. Then again, it's France. But who knows? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> it, uh, it definitely could be. Uh, yeah, listeners, if you got any um, leads on reasons for us to go out and <laughs> record in, in the Salton Sea area. Also, okay. if you have a place for us to stay, we'll just come yeah. out there and stay with you if you live there. If you got any Slab City listeners, <laughs> I will gladly crash in your... What would a Slab City person have turned into a house? I don't know. Uh... Here, here we go, by the way. Eau um, de toilette, literally translated as toilet water, but more appropriately tr- described as grooming water, is a lightly scented cologne used as a skin freshener. It is also referred to as aromatic waters and has a high alcohol content. It's usually applied directly to the skin. Um, it was... Hang on, let's find the name. Oh... Uh, Hungarian eau de toilette, an alcohol-based perfume that is the predecessor of eau de cologne. Uh, that's right. I think it's like to do with eau de toilette is to do with the strength of it. There's like rankings of strength. Oh, cologne is high. Toilette contains some cologne, but not. Oh no, it contains some perfume. What was the word? It's levels of water dilution, whichever right. is the most yeah. diluted yeah. with water. And by the homeopathic rules of of uh, a perfumery, we know that the most diluted diluted smells the best, right, Matt? Yes, exactly that. <laughs> the least parts per... Uh, yeah, and also it depends which smell you're specifically trying to neutralize. Like if it's BO that you've got, then you get a tiny drop of BO and you, you put it in water. <laughs> it's like, like, here's like. Yeah. yeah. Hair of the dog. But if you've stepped in dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to get a little bit of dog shit. The least amount possible. Uh, in, in this context, toilet slash toilet has its older meaning of personal grooming. The name predates the modern sense of toilet, which oh, was originally okay. euphemistic. 
<laughs> we love humans since the dawn of time seemingly love a good um, excrement euphemism, don't we? So, so the fact, because now in Britain it's starting calling it like going to the bathroom is really catching on now in Britain just because when I was a kid that was like oh that's the weird thing that Americans say you would say go to the toilet yeah go to the toilet or, or lavatory loo. or loo any of those yeah. but normally toilet and bathroom is just this weird you, like, like it was like the sort of what bathroom oh am I gonna have a bath in yeah. the <laughs> in, in the toilet in the in the well so I in I, the in the rest stop in the truck stop <laughs> I think that is there, is there a sh- is there a shower in there in in the bathroom? Well, there is I don't. Rest stop, so I, I don't think I'm going to have a bath in there at all. It's very funny you, to hear you crazy American shitting on American yeah. slang and language because I was so I my family's lived in my mom and sister have lived in Manchester for 25 years. So oh, I have okay. a, a fair oh. amount of time spent. In Did Haven, I know so that? I think I think we might talked about it at yeah. the game a few weeks ago. But uh, every time I would hear someone say I'm going to the toilet, it would like kind of just weird me out. Right, because it, so- it's it too sounds literal. It's, it's too so specific. Literal. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm going to go and empty some of my yeah. fluids slash solids from my body into that porcelain right. thing. That like that's where I'm going. That porcelain chair. I'm going to that. Right, exactly. Yeah, in Britain, in Britain, it. it's used for the whole room. But then I get, I but guess then the fact that toilet didn't even mean back that in thing, the day, right? toilet yeah. was a euphemism like bathroom. Like I'm going to go to the toilet, meaning sure. I'm going to go and like. The pound on my Ooh. nose. I'm gonna groom myself. Yeah, and then that came to mean the actual it physical used to mean thing. The room, and now it means the actual device yep. that we use. But now I feel like in America, even though bathroom sounds euphemistic to you, bathroom is so much about I'm gonna pee and poo that like now if you're like in a fancier like job interview setting, people say restroom, restroom, which is just the same amount of euphemism, if not less, than bathroom. When I was a kid, you know? though, I always thought restroom and bathroom were equivalent in America. Like that they was are, what the two things that they would sounds t- more haughty. Okay. Or more it's proper, like saying like less film dirty. and movie. Yeah. Okay. But neither one's dirty. They're both euphemistic. Yeah. So if you're having like an art house shit. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to the restroom. <laughs> restroom. Right. Yeah. This shit has subtitles. Therefore. <laughs> it's in another language. <laughs> it's the restroom. Yeah. This shit's a trilogy. Uh, Whereas if it's like a big budget blockbuster shit. Sure. <laughs> you're going to the bathroom. That's the bathroom. <laughs> if it's like a star vehicle. Right. <laughs> So that re- got a real Sandler on deck here. <laughs> but now we love Adam Sandler again. We can't even... Uh, he's the best. His stand-up thing made up for all the grown-ups is... It's the best show. I saw it live. It's the best thing I ever saw live. I saw one of them at Dynasty. It's the best show I've ever seen. <laughs> he's so great. Where did you see it? At Dynasty, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was... We didn't... No one knew. Did you You did, did you know he was filming it? I yeah, it was... I mean, I think it was one of the third... It was a later night. It wasn't the first oh, night. I don't was. remember which night we went to, but we didn't know until we walked in and saw the cameras. Then he talked about it the entire night. We didn't know what we was filming. It was just like an evening with Adam Sandler for twenty dollars, and we were like, "Yeah, let's do that." And I went in very like comedianish. Like he was my hero when I was like thirteen, oh, yeah, fourteen. But now I was just like, "Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna love this. This isn't like it'll be fine." So I kind of went with like my arms folded, like the make me laugh kind of thing. Yeah. And it took him like twenty minutes, and then he told one stupid joke that I won't repeat. It's in the special; you can see it, and it cracked me, and I was in tears for the next two hours. Yeah. It's the best show I've ever seen live. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah. yeah. Check it out. 100% Fresh, it's called. And he filmed it like 30 different locations and, yeah. s- and spliced them all together in a way that works. Like, I've never it seen someone... It definitely someone... works, and it's very cool. Uh, and it's directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> I didn't know that, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think some of... I don't know if the whole co- thing is, co- but co-direct, yeah. bits of it, yeah. Maybe the whole thing is. He was heavily involved, and it's... Uh... Maybe that's why it's that and Punch Drunk Love are the two best things that Sandler's done, probably. It's both Paul Thomas Anderson things. I mean, Billy Madison, pretty good. Oh, I'm sorry. What am I saying? Pretty yes. good. Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. Having not rewatched them recently, 
I don't know. But if you're talking about films instead of movies, right, yeah, okay, Punch yeah. Drunk Love is better film. <laughs> what do you got for us, Andy? Uh, well, I mean, speaking oh, of celebrities... Actually, well, we, we should ask Matt, actually, before we get into oh, yes. this, was we you've not done the show before. I I've think. never done the show. We like to time. ask new guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? Uh, science specifically, very little, but I have a, I've been in IT. I'm in computers oh. uh, ah. for about 20 years. So. I did not know that. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a systems engineer during the day, light hours. Uh, I did not know that at all. I think you did mention in your stand-up the night that you can build a computer from yes, scratch. Yes, it's true. I can. What's, when's the last time you've done that? Oh, it's been like a decade, but I can. I could technically still you, do it. You I take th- the I monitor and the base bits and you, <laughs> and you plug it into the wall. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> I couldn't build the components. Well, I could take all the components you, and assemble a computer. Yeah, you're That's not going to stand there with like... Goggles and a microscope no. and a laser. Nope, I have not. I have no laser and skills. Just, and a bag of sand. I wish. And <laughs> just walk out five years later with a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Ten years behind the times. Uh, so Behold no- Pong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best game. I mean, ever. even if you could do that, to be honest with that, that description, that would be really pretty impressive. Remarkable. Yeah. But no, like, direct background with science, specifically, other than, you know, high school. How did you get into com- uh, computer stuff? Systems engineering. Uh, it, it was my hobby starting out like, oh, man, I don't know how old it was. I mean, it was pretty much the internet, like the birth of the internet, I guess, yeah. that got me into it. And then, uh, so I would basically just, you know, I would spend a lot of time on it. I was like, I was an athlete until I was like 16, 17. Like, all I did was sports. Which and then, sports? Like, baseball, tennis. And, uh, I mean, I played volleyball in high school, but it was mostly baseball, I think, when I, when I was younger. Um, oh, so when we went to the baseball together, you're at, you actually had an idea of what was going on. I knew everything that was going on, yeah. You know, like, all of the names of the positions. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to list them right now? Would that be interesting? And all of the names listeners? of the bases. <laughs> Could you yeah. explain One, the two, three, and four. Holy shit, he's right. <laughs> I nailed it. Uh, yeah, so I, and then I sort of just sort of stopped playing sports and just, like, sat on a computer all the time and I would you know the video games and downloading stuff illegally and doing all the stuff you did on a on a on a modem back yeah. in the day <laughs> and I would break my our home computer all the time <laughs> like you know screwing around with shit and then I'd have to fix it so oh, it's, it's just out of necessity yeah so I sort of just learned how to do that through having to not get yelled at by my parents and then it sort of just kind of I sort of graciously went into just like oh this place is hiring near me this like family run computer shop and i started building computers for them they taught me how to do it and then i we would go like back in the day you would have like computer shows where you'd go to like a convention center and everyone would just there'd just be vendors and selling back when you would sell like desktops and monitors and software and stuff but how could there there were like smaller companies who were in those those games yeah there was a there it wasn't just like big shops like gateway and all all those bigger computer shops back in the day but but none of them like obviously no components they're not they weren't making components but they were just building custom yeah yeah yeah. custom systems and then we would take them on these road shows and we'd go to convention centers on the weekends and i'd spend the you know 14 hours loading monitor boxes and computer boxes and setting them up and then selling them and then repairing them people brought in stuff for repairs and just, it was just a mom and pop shop. Like it was yeah. just owned by this very nice couple, and they hired me to be one of their their backroom Pro- dudes. Squad, I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll take that as a science answer. By the way, I have. I, I while we were talking, I found a little chart of <laughs> fragrance concentration by name. Yes. Guide. 
This is kind of science. So it's it's concentrations of a thing, which is very yeah. basic science. So at the very at the very top of the concentration pile is pure perfume or parfum, which lasts up to eight hours and has around twenty to thirty percent concentration. And then eau de parfum, which is fifteen to twenty percent, then eau de toilette, which is five to fifteen percent. Then eau de cologne, so cologne is weaker than eau de toilette, which is two to four percent, and then finally eau fr- eau fresh, or fresh, which is one to three percent, which at the very bottom of the scale lasts less than two hours. Interesting. Let me ask you guys something. It based doesn't on say this. which one sort of makes people cry when you walk in yeah, there. Yeah. Well, do, do either of you work cologne? I do not. Ever? In high school, work? I would borrow my dad's Dracar Noir, but sure, never sure, I wore it in high school never too. Since I, then. It, it is objectionable. <laughs> I have weird. never. Anytime I smell a, 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 a man that like is like fragrant like that, it like I just am repulsed. Yeah. By, it doesn't matter what the smell is. I just I do not like. I don't like anything that's overly fragrant. I guess so. I'm just maybe just sensitive to it in general. But anytime I smell cologne on a dude, I'm like, who, who are you trying to impress? What are you, right. what are you doing? And I think the problem, if, if you ever are a person of any gender who chooses to do that daily, you'll become immune to it. Yeah, you don't smell it And anymore. I'm guessing you'll get a tolerance where you'll accidentally keep putting on more... I, I haven't scientifically checked this out, but like... That sounds Become legitimate. more and more objectionable to everyone around you, but you'll never know it. Because yeah, because you want to smell it, so you have to keep like caking more yeah. on to actually smell I it. I wish I could remember the name of the brand, but my... For my... Let's see, it would have to be... It would have been my 20th birthday, I think, because it was my first year of university. Mm-hmm. My now sadly no longer with us great aunt sent me... She she always had a curious taste in gifts. <laughs> and she's, uh, this package arrived, and the outside... The wrapping paper just said Swiss chocolate. So I was like, uh-huh. ah, good for her. Swiss she was, can't go too wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, and then inside was... I don't know where she even got the paper from because no connection. Inside was the most potent aftershave that, like, it became a game that we would attack each other with oh it. <laughs> I sprayed my friend Will's front door, like, of his dorm with it. Three days later, his door actually smelled quite nice. Like, just, <laughs> like three days after it faded, I was like, oh, yeah. there is, underneath it all, there is, but this is, this is a cologne picked by... Uh, a woman who, God bless her, was in her 80s and had been smoking many packs oh, a day right. okay. for the vast majority of that sure. time. So I think, yeah. She her, lost her sense of smell altogether. It took a fair amount of power for any kind of fragrance to get through. So I think, yeah, that's enough to kind of go like that. She wanted her nephew to smell nice. Exactly. You know? That reminds me of, like, that's why I can never smell CK. I mean, CK1 probably always sucked, but, like, I dated someone who wore it and smoked in college. Right. So it always smells like it has cigarettes in it. Yeah. And also, why did someone need to make a thing that was... It's like, it works for men or women. Like, yes, they can both smell bad. Yeah. Either anybody can smell bad with this. I just... any, any Really, anybody that has, like, a pungent... Yeah. Them, even if it's, like, a quote-unquote good smell, like something that's meant to smell, whether it's perfume or cologne, I, I find it... You shouldn't I have can't. a signature smell. Yeah, it's so odd to me. Like, why do you want to smell like that every day? <laughs> smell yeah. like a celebrity. Yeah. Speaking of celebrities, go on. Should, should we listen? Liam too- sent it. Which Liam was this? Listen to we Liam. I'll find you. I, I don't. I, maybe it just says Liam underneath the thing, so I'm not sure. This is uh, where the worlds of entertainment and science overlap. Um, so this is a scientific explainer of what Terrence Howard was talking about at the Emmys. Kennedy, Liam Kennedy. Thanks, Liam. Thank you, Liam. Yeah, I didn't know that he's. I, I, he's for a long time been my favorite favorite crazy celebrity, but I didn't know that he was also into this awesome pseudoscience stuff. 
I I don't really know. I've never seen Empire. I haven't either. But just like I just I know, know he's that. now been trumped as the breakout crazy from that program. Wait, who else is on Empire? Or oh, I, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, he did a deep dive into geometry, ancient philosophy, and quantum physics. He said, I've made some discoveries in my own personal life with the science that, you know, Pythagoras was searching for. He told a very confused interviewer, I was able to open up the flower of life properly and find the real way of conjugations we've been looking for for 10,000 years. All energy in the universe is expressed in motion. All motion is expressed in waves. All waves are curves. So where does the straight lines come from to make the platonic solids? There are no straight lines. So when I took the flower of life and opened it properly, I found a whole new way of conjugations that expose the in-between spaces. It's the thing that holds us together. <laughs> Again, this is an Emmy red carpet interview. This is insane. Which we will link to at probablyscience.com and in the show notes. Yeah, well, there was a Great Courses Plus course that we've done that does really <laughs> dial into some of what he was talking about. Real way of conjugations? <laughs> yeah, just... I love using a word like conjugation in this completely different... Un... <laughs> there it, I, we, this has come up in the show quite a lot. Like... It's obviously bollocks. It's obviously nonsense. I, a bit of me, loves listening to some... If I got cornered at a party for... I'd say my limit is about half an hour. But half an hour of someone talking to me about this at a party would make me delighted. Like 30 I, minutes of this? I love it. Firstly, it's... Even thinking about it now is setting off my ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this is exactly the kind of thing that is my a- ASMR trigger. Sure. I will... I'll just be sitting there smiling and secretly tingling. <laughs> like just my whole, my back's going off. Wave conjugations. Wave conjugations. That's like I wave, you wave, you <laughs> waves. Well, I always get conjugations and declensions mixed up. Which one's, which one's nouns and which one's verbs? What does declension mean? I've never actually studied grammar. Oh, that's, I think that might be for nouns. And I think that's mostly for things like Latin that have... Where it's not just like the verb has different parts for I meet for the different parts of speech, like the noun will also have. How could a noun? I conjugation don't, yeah. is what ruined me in all of my language classes in high school. When as soon as we started conjugating verbs, I was like, "I'm out. I, I don't. I don't get this." <laughs> I think we're at a disadvantage for having English be our first language because we barely conjugate. Right. There's only two. Right. It's usually just whether you put an s after something or not. Just pluralizing something. I mean, it's not pluralizing, but like, like I wave, you wave, he, she, or it waves. Right. Yeah. We, so, we wave, you yes. plural wave. So English is wave. almost exactly the same for all of them, except sometimes there's an S on the end for the regular one. Declension is for nouns, and it's de- it depends on the part of speech it is. So whether it's the subject or the object of the sentence, and oh, like who and whom. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Uh, but in something in so- languages like Latin, it's different for so. If it's like, uh, the boy hit the ball, would be the word for boy and the word for ball. Ball would be different to if it was the ball hit the, ball boy. the boy. Oh, and then it's and then if you're just addressing like the there's like nominative vocative, which Jesus. is if you're like addressing someone like boy, come here. Uh, accusative, which is the object, and then there's like genitive and de- anyway. Jesus. Ablative. It's a very complicated language. Yeah, I wonder if there's an overall trend that all languages get more simple. As yeah, a- you think that's true? It can't be. No, I think that's probably addressed in that book, The Language Instinct. Like we have certain things that will, like in a language, the children of pe- people who speak like a pigeon or like a partial language end up filling in the gaps that the grammar of their parents' language didn't 
have. That's like, there's oh, really? some instinct to like fill in. We should really get a linguist on the show at some point. I know, I know, it's sort of science adjacent, but I, I think I yeah. think it counts as. No, it's really interesting. It's yeah. very statistical. It's very. It's probably science. Yeah, there is there is computational <laughs> linguists. <laughs> As in, like, neural or... Uh, well, people who spend... Well, there's that as well, but there's also people who, you know, sort of do heavy computer analysis of languages and yeah. observe trends and do heavy, like, mass statistical analysis. I, if you know any really interesting linguists, I'm putting this out right now, because this has been a very language-heavy episode so far. If you know Noam Chomsky, hit him up. Right. And we will exclusively ask him about language. That's all. Yeah, isn't that his main thing? And everything else is sort that of is like all a the hobby? politics is sort of yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, back to Terrence Howard's brilliance. Um, turns out some of this shit isn't bullshit. So the straight lines thing. He said there's no straight lines. So this is this Vice article that we're reading right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, it's true there are no straight lines in the physical world that we see and experience around us. But this has very little to do with wave curvature or Howard's false claim that all energy is expressed in motion. Instead, it's a quirk of math. Oh, of maths. Is this a British Vice article? Maths and logic due to how we define straight and how we define line. Strictly speaking, any line has a thickness of zero. That's just what we mean in mathematical terms when we refer to a line. That's one-dimensional, right? Um, If a straight line with a finite length has any thickness at all, it's actually an extremely thin rectangle, not a line. Um, so it should be obvious that no true lines exist physically. Even the thinnest line we can draw has a width greater than zero. Straight lines are an idealized mathematical concept, so arguably yeah. don't exist. Actually, technically, any line that you draw on a piece of paper would not only have a thickness, but it would also have a height. It's three-dimensional. Yeah, there's no such thing as two-dimensional anything Yeah, so so it wouldn't even be a rectangle. It would be a... It's crushed would rectangular prism. be some kind of, yeah, prism or cuboid or something like that. Cuboid? What's a cuboid? A cube... Uh... Isn't isn't that a stretched cube? I haven't heard the word. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Uh, oh, did we mention we, we won trivia? Yeah, last that week is a, that is a correct word. <laughs> a cube, a cuboid, a cuboid is to a, a cube what a rectangle is to a square. It's not. That's so not just a, a rectangular. Long, it's prism. a longer box. Is it just another word uh, for rectangular prism? Uh, yeah, it's a long box. Broadly, the face of a cuboid could be any quadrilateral. Yes. Yep. Not to tutor on horn about geometry but we just won trivia last week with a hail mary doubling of the last round that we had to name all six it was uh, like, it was a pretty easy question but i just it I, was na- names it wasn't all six there are or, others but or, it was yeah. like name six name six quadrilaterals and then name four trigonometric functions i can't yeah, name tri- one of those things, things that you just you could said. absolutely name you know four-sided things. i mean i'm sure i know things, a quadrilateral but... is a four-sided shape you could definitely oh name just a four okay i didn't understand what it was being. yeah but so we, <laughs> luck, luckily uh we were talked into kite which i was like i get that but is it actually called that? no i is... was pretty sure it was oh you were okay. once once I, I was once someone suggested it i was like oh yeah of course we've missed kite i thought there was like a fancier word for it but it's like that's in textbooks all kite. right kite is a mathematical shape that looks like a kite that is mm-hmm. Has two two two. Uh, what's the word for the same? Two pairs sides? of same sided of same length sides of equal right. equal length. What, what's the term for? Or two set or two or or another way of looking at it is the opposite angles are the same. Right. Uh, this is super fun for you, Matt. I'm sorry. No, uh, I'm I'm <laughs> learning a lot. I just I'm just happy to know that I am as stupid as I thought I was. No, and no. There's, no this is, has nothing to do with you guys. This is I'm learning a lot. It's great. You're no Terrence Howard. Um, <laughs> what well, is the again, life of the, what do you say the flower of life? Okay, he opened the that. flower yeah. of life. So Actually, maybe it's not lines. enough to say the opposite angles are the same because that would also anyway. No, two of the two opposite angles are the same and two are different in a kite. That's right. You're right. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so uh, Terrence Howard, correct. There are no straight lines, but not for the reasons you said. Um, so what else? All energy is motion and all motion is a wave is another Howardism of that. Uh, this point might be wise for Howard not to pursue a potential post-Empire career as a science professor. Oh, zing, Vice. Hey, um, got you emotion. That is, if someone said that to Isaac Newton after he, he finished his TV career, <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't have spaceships right now. That's true. Thank Every God. apple would be stuck in a tree. Thank God Einstein walked away from uh, uh, 3.14 men. Or whatever his sitcom was, I, that's all I could tell on short notice. My brain went to I Love Lucy, so oh, okay. you, you win. Um, so yes, motion is one type of energy, kinetic, but it's certainly not the only fundamental type. Um, all forms of energy can be classed into kinetic or potential. Um, within the two broad types, other forms include electrical, thermal, radiation, nuclear energy. And it's not true that all motion is a wave. In fact, I suspect Howard meant to put this entire statement in reverse. All motion is energy and all energy is a wave. That's closer to the truth, but still misses the mark. Um, Due to quantum physics, everything behaves in weird form-changing ways. When you get down to an infinitesimally small level, stationary particles of mass convert some of their mass into energy in order to have motion. And energetic particles behave like waves with frequency and vice versa. Quantum physics reveals that properties of particles are interchangeable with properties of waves, but it doesn't tell us that everything is made up of curved waves. In fact, quantum physics prevents us from making definitive statements like this. Uh, So, flower of life and platonic solids. Um, He's clearly into sacred geometry, a new age spiritual practice that runs with the ideas of ancient philosophers and mathematicians like Plato, Euclid, and Pythagoras. Platonic solids are sets of five 3D shapes where all the faces are uniformly shaped and sized, all edges and angulars angles are regular, and each corner of the object has the same number of faces meeting at that point. So yeah, cubes it's the and five, tetrahedrons. It's the five regular 3D shapes. Um, should I be able to name all these? Is a dodecahedron it, it, one? It, it is. You sh- it could come up in trivia, Andy. So we got three. Yeah, you got you tetrahedron, got the tetrahedron cube. the cube. Dodecahedron, does that mean it has 12 faces? So we got four, six, and 12 faces. I'm lost now. Put a uh, put two tetra put two te- tetrahedron on top of each other. Oh, tetrahedra. Yeah, so that would have eight sides. Yep. Octahedron. That's it. Oh, and then the other one's the icosahedron. How many is that? That is is that twenty? Icosa. I'm not sure. No wait, dodecahedron is twenty. Well, oh, two tens. That makes sense. Uh, I think the twelve one is the icosahedron. Oh no, no, other way around. I'm wrong. What? Icosahedron is 20 faces, dodecahedron is 12. Oh, but deca is 10. Yeah, and okay. do is the two the bit. The two, okay. Uh, so yes, platonic solids are those guys, and um, sacred geometry assigns new meaning to geometrical objects like these and more complex shapes like the flower of life, a geometric pattern which contains all five platonic solids within it, using them to connect with different, quote, energies. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pseudoscience at Again, best. Again, but- this... this- when someone is sort of being serious about it or anything, or like if it, if there's any consequences, and I know I should be generally opposed to pseudoscience and the spread of it, but and and it does it is a pet hate of mine when someone borrows language from science or mathematics right. and then mixes it up with just language of poetry and then <laughs> but then tries to plug that back into real science equations like that does irk me. God damn, I love hearing someone bullshit about it for a while. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Where do you guys think that comes from? Like. 
Like, do you think Terrence Howard was into this stuff 20 years ago and now he has the money to pursue it and the time to pursue it because of his fame? I, because it's very, it's a weird thing I to me. I think someone's has a predisposition to it. Right. But then, you know, you, YouTube has a lot to answer for because sure. you can just, yeah. if you have like, if you just pull on the very end of a thread of any of this stuff, YouTube is just like, Here, well, here's the whole garment. Sure, but I mean, if Terrence Howard ended up being an accountant or a lawyer instead of a movie star, do you think that he would think or want to say these things to anybody? That's a good question, because I have theories about this when it applies to people on the lower rungs of the entertainment industry, but he's not on the lower rungs, no. so it doesn't make sense. But I, I feel like all these kinds of things are easy fodder for someone who's chosen the brutal life that is... The entertainment, the brutal and fickle life that is the entertainment right. industry, where things aren't based. There isn't a clear progression of a career the way there is for an accountant. It's not like you put in the work, you guaranteed this job, and things are just going to be okay and stable. You have this like fickle, awful, but great sometimes job. So, I feel like people in the industry are more prone to get into like power of positivity sure. universe bullshit stuff. and who you surround yourself with i guess too yeah but i mean i, I think that the job is related to as a way to handle what would otherwise be a soul-crushing existence of disappointments that seem random so you have to grab on to these magical like there's so much i've never met so many people into astrology as moving here that's true it's like yeah and also i think that there is something about the sort of openness and emotional availability that it takes to be a good actor, I think, goes hand in hand. Maybe maybe, maybe there is no correlation between no, I... this belief, but I think there is a certain amount of sort of emotional intelligence and openness and willingness to just sort of dive headlong into something that makes someone a really good actor right. and also makes them susceptible to a sense. world of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, if you're saying a good actor, you're defining yourself as a vessel into which things can be put, right? Yeah, and and, and a willingness to... Like go to places right. emotionally and like really, like really obey your soul. In a case of a really good actor, right. in a way that most people have guards up and that you know they have a certain lacking of defenses in certain senses. You're talking about opening your third eye, bro. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Terrence Howard's got that thing open. He Which sees all the platonic solids. Does also maybe leave you open to just yeah he's opened his flower of life you know yeah and i looked up a flower of life i have seen that shape before and you guys probably have did, did you already know that's what that is oh okay i have seen that shape yeah it looks like a sort of spirograph yeah product yeah which you know doodling is fun who might have knocked doodling sure. it's, but, um, it's art yeah so i guess plato and his contemporaries uh, do, 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 do. uh in the 17th century uh kepler Johann, Johannes, Johann Kepler, tried and failed to use platonic solids to model the solar system. Even though he abandoned the geometrical side of his work, his original theories eventually gave rise to revolutionary theories of planetary orbits, which are still used to describe movements in planets today. So there's an upside to that, I guess. Uh, I've got a baby story that I found. Nice. It was it's linked to it at the top of the show notes there. Babies in the womb have lizard-like hand muscles in this BBC article that I found just looking at the BBC as is my daily duty. <laughs> Babies in the womb have extra lizard-like muscles in their hands that most will lose before they are born, oh. medical scans reveal. They are probably one of the oldest, albeit fleeting, remnants of evolution she's seen in humans yet, say biologists in the journal Development. They date them as 250 million years old, a relic from when reptiles transitioned to mammals. It's unclear why the human body makes them and then deletes them before birth. Deletes. I know. The biologists say the developmental step may be what makes thumbs dexterous. 
Thumbs, unlike other digits, retain an extra muscle. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. I just thought it was just facing the other way. I didn't know it actually has an extra bit of... I know, we, all three of us now are just looking Look at our thumbs. thumbs. <laughs> it's definitely stronger than the other fingers, I feel like. Yeah, I thought that's just because of your general relentless positivity. and your, your... <laughs> I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> just really gets a workout. He's always thumbs-upping everyone. He's the best hitchhiker I know. <laughs> Rarely, some children adult, adults have been found to have a few of the extra finger and hand muscles, but never all of the, here we go, dorsometacarpals the biologists saw when they looked at 3D scans of embryos and fetuses seen at 7 to 13 weeks gestation. When they do persist, they are sometimes linked with limb deformities, and biologists say their findings in 15 developing babies might help shed light on these types of birth defects. Does that include things like, I used to work with someone who had three thumbs... Really? She had a thumb coming off the side of one of her thumbs with like a full-on nail and everything. Wow. Yeah. I don't think it was useful. It couldn't have been. I don't think it had its own like movement separate from the other one. What about for like playing the bass? I mean, sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That woman's name, Bootsy Collins. (laughs) Uh, Lead author, Dr. Rui Diogo from Howard University in the US said, we have a lot of muscles going to the thumb, very precise thumb movements, but we lost a lot of muscles that are going to the other digits. In our evolution, we do not need them so much. Why are they there? Probably we can't just say in evolution, look, I will delete from scratch from day zero. The muscle is going to digits two, three, five, four, five, and I will just keep the one going to the thumb. Probably it's not so easy. Probably yeah, there's a lot of problems well, in this. This is perfect for us. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, it, probably you have to form this layer of this muscle, and then it disappears on the other digits but persists on the thumb. Okay. He said the structures were more striking than other evolutionary remnants humans retained, such as the apparently redundant, redundant appendix, wisdom teeth, and coccyx. I didn't know a coccyx was considered redundant. I guess it is. I think it's just something, all it can do is just get broken if you land too hard yeah. and just hurt. Isn't it, isn't it basically the remnants of when a we tail. used to have a tail? Yeah. yeah. These, although, hasn't there been, haven't there been some studies that have suggested that maybe there is some use to the appendix? Yeah, I thought that wasn't a clear-cut case of uh, you don't need it. I thought science was... Do you guys still have yours? Your I do still have mine. Me too. I do. Do, do you know Rick Wood um, barely got onto the operating table in time for his bursting appendix to be taken off a couple weeks ago? No. What? A month Recent- ago? Wow. A month ago. Yeah, we were at his show. He and- Has Rick been on yet? I'm not sure. I don't know. He should. He and I and Brian Cook were out together, and he's like, yeah, I don't feel so hot. And then he like put it off forever until like six in the morning... And as they were cutting him open, like it, it burst on the table, I guess, and he would have died if he'd waited another. Oh my god! Is a burst hours. appendix that instantly? I think once it bursts, if you aren't en route to a hospital, I could be wrong. Listeners, correct me, but I think it's pretty dire if it actually explodes. That wow. sounds sort of related to me not having a gallbladder. <laughs> That's sort of how my story happened. What happened? Gallbladder. I had gallstones. Ooh. Uh, I was I was twenties. It was probably twelve years ago now, and I was actually the member of the Patriots Giants Super Bowl. The, the catch, the David Tyree catch over the helmet, it was kind of like famous. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, in like, it, was, it was like in 2006 or 2007, and uh, I was watching that at a friend's house and just got, got up like a bunch of like stomach pain, and I just kind of laid down on the couch, and then it sort of faded away, and then I went home and went to bed, and at three in the morning, it woke like just like, it felt like, like a gym rope was like tied around my stomach, and someone was tightening the knot around my stomach. Ooh. And at the time, I was living, still living in Philadelphia, and I lived right by Thomas Jefferson University, which is a very good hospital, and I drove myself eight minutes to the hospital parked went inside by the time i walked through the doors of the emergency room 
the pain completely subsided. I felt 100%. Oh. And I was like, oh, I don't want to sit in the emergency room and waste everyone's time. So I went home. Next day, I ate very light. I was like, didn't know what was going on. I was still kind of like cautious. And then the next morning again, like 2, 3 in the morning, woke me up out of a dead sleep again. Same exact pain. I'm like, what is going on? So I go back to the, I drive myself to the emergency room again. I walk in. As soon as I walk through the doors of the emergency room, the pain subsides. I'm like, what is happening? I was like, I'm staying. I don't care. Yeah. So I stay. I'm in the waiting room for two hours. They take me back. They do blood work. They're like, you're 100%. We don't know. what. You're fine. Mm. Took my blood work. I went home again. Next morning, again, four in the morning. Came back again. Uh, luckily, after another two-hour wait in the waiting room, they took me back again. A, a charge nurse who had seen me the night before walked past me in the hallway and was like, again, the stomach? And I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, hold on. And she went and ordered me a, um, like uh, ultrasound. an ultrasound. And I went and got the ultrasound done. And the guy uh, who was doing it was very funny. Uh, and he was just like, yeah, he's like, you have a whole mess of gallstones. Um, <laughs> and I had been in uh, at Jefferson at that hospital about probably six months prior because I was having a lot of like acid reflux problems. Yeah. And so he saw that I had been through the radiology department. He was like, were you here six months ago? I was like, yeah, I was just having some acid reflux. They gave me some antibiotics and it went away in like three days. And he's like, he's like, how could they not notice this? Like, you don't get gallstones in six months. You've had these for years. Oh. He's like, the fact that they miss this is he was basically like saying, he's like, you have a malpractice suit. Wait, but those want. would show up on an x-ray and an ultrasound? They did an ultrasound, ultrasound during the, oh, the other okay. thing, too, because it was, you know, all just digestive yeah. and, and throat stuff and uh he was, he was like basically like intimating, like, how did they miss it? He, he basically, he asked me, who was your tech? <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know, some woman. He was just like, okay. He's like, well, they, this is insane that they didn't let you know that you had gallstones. God. And so they immediately just admitted me and ripped my gallbladder out. Because you don't need that either. You don't really. No, your dietary stuff changes a little bit. The, your, uh, the way you uh, move your bowels changes a bit, oh. depending on what you eat. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, the gallbladder just releases bile to help you digest hard-to-digest foods like dairy and, and stuff like that. So you don't really need it. And it affects people differently. Like when they took it out, the doctor was basically like, you may have to change your diet entirely. You may, some people don't notice any kind of difference at all. It's just basically how you live your lifestyle. But it it hasn't been too much of a different life for me, honestly. That's good. Yeah. So spleen, gallbladder, and appendix, you can all live without. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you only need a couple of fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hair. You don't need hair. That's true. Nice to haves, not need to haves. Uh, wait, so if gallstones, if you don't get the gallbladder taken out, that, will they ever break down on their own or pass? In I don't think so. He was the guy was basically telling me that like I had had them for a long time. Okay, it just it wasn't a problem. So I guess when you, I guess to get enough of them, what was happening? The valve on the gallbladder was opening, and a gallstone would like get in there, and that's when I would feel that pain. Oh, and I don't know why it was. I think he said not it was constant. happening at that point in the night because that's when I was digesting whatever I'd eaten that day. Oh, okay. While I was sleeping, uh, is it, was it maybe just the. The action of sitting up in your car and then standing up to walk into the hospital, the kind of like it could. I mean, I'm I just know. wondering whether the physical movement oh, right, of that right. dislodged it to a point. I that never even thought of that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why that happened. But the third time I was, the third time I went back, it was I was still in pain. Okay, I, it didn't break that third time, but the first two times it was just completely gone. And I was like, I don't know what is, what is happening. Yeah, now. it was very odd. But yeah, it could just be lying. Like even post my back surgery, I still in the morning I can feel my foot, and then throughout the day. Really? Increasingly can't because that nerve that's being pinched is, it still gets pinched a little bit, but like when you're lying down, it's sure. whatever, not getting pinched as much. So, so Dr. Diodro said these muscles in question were lost 250 million years ago. No adult mammal, no rat, no dog has these muscles. It's impressive. It was a really long time ago. 
It used to be that we had more understanding of the early development of fish, frogs, chicken, and mice than in our own, than in our own species. But these new techniques allow us to see human development in much greater detail. And uh, Dr. Sergio Almacia, an anthropologist who studies ape and human evolution at the American Museum of Natural History, said, that's museum, not museum, (laughs) (laughs) the American museum, said the findings provided a deeper appreciation of human development but raised many questions. The novelty of this study is it allows us to visualize with precision when exactly during our development some structures appear and or disappear. The important question for me now is what else are we missing? What we find when all the human body is inspected at this detail during its development? What is causing certain structures to disappear and then appear again? We can now see how it happens. But what about the why? God, the, I know. Lighten up. They just got some questions. That's what <laughs> a good scientist asks good questions. <laughs> he wants to know why we're lizard people. <laughs> yeah. The biologists are planning more work looking at other parts of the human body in detail. They had already studied the feet and no extra muscles develop and disappear them there too while babies grow in the womb. Monkeys and apes still have these muscles and use them to climb and manipulate objects with their feet. Dr. Diogo said, some of the things we are losing, it's not that we're getting better humans and more progress. No, we are really losing things that will make superhumans. Mm. Superhumans will be keeping those muscles because you'll be able to move all your digits, including your feet, as thumbs. We lost them because we do not need them. I do want a foot full of thumbs. Oh, yeah. I've always weird. wanted that. I want to climb shit with my feet. I want to have orangutan strength. <laughs> Scale trees. How do those guys, I still don't get how they can be so strong with muscles that small. Orangutans? That wiry, you know? Like so many apes have like ropey muscles and they can still tear your face off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's just pure muscle. They're shredded. They're shredded but not jacked. They're ripped but not... They're jacked and ripped. They're jacked and ripped and shredded. And cut and shredded. I don't know. If you've got any gym experts, please write in and let us know. (laughs) Are apes jacked or ripped? (laughs) What is the exact definition difference between jacked and ripped and which one are apes? I think here's my so I think shredded is like Brad Pitt in uh, Fight Club. in Fight Club that's he's shredded. he was shredded but jacked is like bigger the like rock. the guy you, yeah like the rock is jacked like the guy that like doesn't have a neck that would be jacked is it on the uh, cologne perfume to cologne spectrum <laughs> yeah. is it is it yoked yeah. <laughs> jacked yoked ripped, is... shredded oh man that's a good question and then the bottom is just like man you look kind of good yeah you lost some weight amazing. <laughs> I think yoked is above ripped or above jacked. You think yoked is above? So yoked is the highest? I, I want to say yoked is more than jacked. Okay. I, I could be wrong. So prime Schwarzenegger was yoked. He was definitely yoked. Yeah. For Where, right now. Where's like fucking beast? Who's fucking beast? Like who's just like you're a fucking beast. Oh, oh you're, you're a, a fucking beast. Ah, uh, it might be between yoked and jacked. That also could have to do with facial hair. Oh yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So that's Or maybe. attitude. Yeah. <laughs> it could just be you don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, there's another story I put in the top of the show notes there, Andy. Sure. Uh, sent in by Sarah Morgan of London. Not our Sarah Morgan, though. Yes, actually, our oh, Sarah, our Morgan. Sarah Morgan. Oh, it's like, oh, we have. Okay. <laughs> How many Sarah-, Sarah London Sarah Morgans do you have? Sarah Morgan of London and good friend of ours. And I know she listens. So I didn't mean to sound disappointed that it's her. By the way, I was yeah. just. Yeah. <laughs> This is getting greedy. No, I, I just to... thought there'd be just more Sarah Morgans yeah. around that listen. I'm impressed by how many Sarah Morgans you guys have. We have at Again, least one. At least one. That's great. Minimally one Sarah Morgan. If Jealous. you are another Sarah Morgan, though, do contact us. Who is a friend of the show and has <laughs> has sent this story. I don't know. Uh, no other person has sent in this story. And for the life of me, I have no idea why. Because statistically... It's, it's been a week. You're right. Someone else should have sent this. This seems very much like... I'm going to very quickly check the... 
probably science Twitter because I haven't checked that just to see if. Should I leak the uh, headline or wait? Go on, to... read this headline and uh, and then judge. Why has no one else sent this to us? Yeah, uh, so rabbits may hold key to solving mystery of human female orgasm. <laughs> it has everything, Andy. Rabbits, oh my God. Uh, it's got animals. If rabbits are listening, please please contact me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, at Andy T. Wood. Also, like, there's a toy called the rabbit. We all know yeah, that, right? Like, yeah. that's... <laughs> Yep, there is, a, there is another fun animal story that someone tweeted at us. Uh, Rika Must- Mustonen will save that either for the next episode or for a little maybe Patreon bonus if we have time. Cool. But, so yeah, possible explanation. Or did you want to take this one? No, do it. Fire away. Possible explana- explanation for one of biology's greatest mysteries, the female orgasm. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it. One of biology's greatest mysteries. <laughs> greatest mysteries. <laughs> Has been bolstered by research showing that rabbits, given antidepressants, release fewer eggs during sex. Hmm. Huh. I wasn't aware that rabbits released eggs during sex. I wasn't. I guess I don't know much about rabbit sex. It's yeah. Like there's a lot of it. Um, they didn't look like eggs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The human female orgasm has long proved curious. I love this article. Having no obvious purpose besides the pleasurable, besides being pleasurable, which is a pretty good purpose. Um, the scientists behind the study have previously proposed that it might have its evolutionary roots in a reflex linked to the release of eggs during sex, a mechanism that exists today in several animal species, including rabbits. Since humans have spontaneous ovulation, the theory goes that female orgasm may be an involuntary, may be an evolutionary hangover. They say the new experiment supports the idea. We know there's a reflex in rabbits, but the question is, could this be the same one that has lost the function in humans, said Dr. Mihaila Pavlichev, a researcher at the University of Cincinnati who co-authored this study. To explore the question, the team gave 12 female rabbits a two-week course of fluxetine, trade name Prozac, fluoxetine. But anti- Prozac, they gave them Prozac. Prozac. I, I, I never heard the generic for that. An antidepressant that, that known to reduce the capacity for women to orgasm and looked at the number of eggs released after the animals had sex with a male rabbit called Frank. What does it matter? <laughs> what his name is? Oh, Frank. Uh, the results published. Just, in- just trust me. <laughs> Frank is our best fucking rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like before they had that in there. Like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Stop. Stop the study. Wait. Who was doing the fucking? Yeah, this this rabbit is like lab quality. This is pharmaceutical grade fucking for Frank. You may Frank. be familiar with Frank's work from studies including, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, God. The results published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that rabbits... Hey, you know the expression, <laughs> they ran it like Frank? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, so they showed that rabbits given the antidepressants released 30%, did I say that? Fewer eggs than nine rabbits that were not given Prozac, but still mated with Frank. <laughs> Frank's still closed. This message is, this, Frank is the control dick. Yeah. This study was co-authored by Frank, I think. Um, further experiments back the theory that the drug was effectively ovulation was affecting ovulation through a mechanism involved in copulation and entailing the nervous system rather than acting directly on the ovaries or other routes. The team said the results fit their theory that rabbits needed to experience something akin to an orgasm to have a hormonal surge and ovulate, although it's not known if it gives the animals sexual pleasure. Well, why wouldn't you assume... Uh, they also said that their theory was supported by a I previous... I think you know. Yeah, I think I know I'm if not, a rabbit's I'm come. Pretty sure. <laughs> I get it. I can tell the difference between a lady rabbit that's come and a lady rabbit that hasn't come, okay? <laughs> Take it easy, Frank. <laughs> Back down a little bit, all right? Hey, hey, if you want to bring in some other lesser fucking rabbit, then by all means do that. But until then... No, we want you, Frank. We yeah, need you. You're good, yeah. 
You're the best. So the male was Frank. It turns out the female was Bugs Bunny and Drag. <laughs> I, that's, I can't believe that. That's that's gonna screw up their yeah, studies. Yeah. Um, so yes. Here comes the next paragraph. It's a good. Where did I end up? Further experiments back the theory that drug was effective ovulation. Did I already say that? I can't remember where I stopped. You did. You did. The next paragraph. Team said the results. Go ahead. Uh. Is that it? There's not known if it gives the animal sexual pleasure. You said right, that. Yeah. So they also said their theory was supported by a previous finding that animals that rely on sex-induced hormonal surges for ovulation tended to have a clitoris, the organ behind the female orgasm, in a position that meant it was more likely to be stimulated during sex. Uh, Pavlichev says it remains unclear exactly how Prozac affected the reflex in rabbits and that further experiments with other animals was necessary. She added that even if the theory was right, an important question was, why is the orgasm still there? Could it be that it acquired a different function, that there was a function on female health? Elizabeth Lloyd, professor of biology at Indiana University and author of The Case for the Female Orgasm, praised the study and said it offered support for the team's theory. She said questions remained, including whether the same muscles and nerve fibers found involved in the reflex in rabbits were present in the female orgasm. She also noted that ovulation and orgasm were linked to different hormones in humans, though it was unclear why. If female orgasm had its roots in ovulation, orgasms in men and women showed so many overlapping features. Uh, Such features, she said, had generally been thought to support the theory that orgasm evolved to reward males for fertilization, with a female orgasm simply a bonus arising from the way embryos of different sexes develop from a common form. Lloyd and Pavlichev said it might be that the theories could be reconciled with one potentially explaining the origin of the female orgasm and the other indicating why it still existed. Pavlichev added that understanding the role of the female orgasm remain important. Maybe it can direct a little bit more friendly focus on female sexuality rather than be in the service of childbearing. Those two things don't have to be... Those can live together, right? That like it could it could have served some evolutionary purpose in childbearing but also just be a positive... It sort of seems obvious, right? Yeah. Well, the the bit that last statement, I guess, kind of. Well, I don't, I don't know. Just like they, they, they do seem to sort of interact, interact with each other. In that, like, on the one hand, saying that the female orgasm is a is a byproduct of the thing that causes reproduction to happen. Yeah. So it is rather than just a sort of accidental. But a thing if it's intrinsic to it. But I think that rewards an activity that is required for life to persist. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I'll tell you one thing. Frank is not having any of these conversations. <laughs> this sounds like a study started by Frank. He does. Yeah. I think <laughs> this is There's his. not even a picture of this. If he gets two mentions, this article should come with a picture of Frank. Awesome. Yeah. He's doing a lot of the work here. And I don't want to, I don't want to discount the work of the female rabbits of in course. this because no, obviously no, no. they are very important. <laughs> but yeah. Frank, you know, it's like, in porn, the male actors, although they they get to have longer careers, but they do get substantially get pay less. paid less compared to yeah. the female talent. Uh, and you know they've got a they've really got to deliver. They've got a job to do. They've got it's, that job to do, and if they don't do that job, they're gone. There's a demonstrable success uh, or lack of success in that job. There's some difficult work that they have to do, and Frank is <laughs> very much in that in that wheelhouse. He's like, closing. He is. <laughs> he is not disappointing. He's he's yeah. getting in there. He's getting the job done. <laughs> he's he, a professional. Yeah, yeah. He he's, knows. He's hitting all the right angles. He literally is. Yeah, as we just discovered from whoever it is. Good work, Frank. Yeah, I. 
I, I messaged Sarah at the same like, what kind what makes you think that's the kind of story we'd be interested in? And she said, uh, the bit where they have to find the rabbit's clitoris. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah's a, show Sarah Morgan there. Sarah's a hero, and yeah. this is the best article. <laughs> Thank you very much, At Sarah. Sarah L. Morgan on Twitter. And I think she just had a new thing come out. I can't remember what it is, but a new thing she wrote that you should check out. I will find a link to it. As long as we're talking about animals and eggs, do you want to get into... Um, we had a listener write in, whose name I didn't copy over, from South Carolina, um, talking about... When we were talking about turkey and chicken eggs? Uh... Oh yeah, do do that. Yeah, we we've got time for one more story. That, sure, it's just a it's an it's an email, not a story. But sure, oh, uh, do that. Yeah, while I'm finding the thing, the thing, the, it was like a web series that Sarah wrote or co-wrote. Oh, nice. I will you do recommend. That. Yeah, I will confirm who sent this in. Uh, this was Ryan Huminski. Thank you for writing, Ryan. Uh, he says I'm a high school biology teacher that has been listening to the podcast to the to us on his commute for the last year. Uh, no, 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 no. He used to raise both chickens and turkeys. So we can clear up some of the questions that came up on last week's show, which was a few weeks ago now. Um, both turkeys and red jungle fowl, the wild ancestors of domestic chickens, will generally only lay eggs in the spring. They will lay one egg each day until they have around 10 eggs. At this point, they go broody, in quotes, and will sit on the eggs until they hatch. The feathers on their breast fall out to put the eggs in direct contact with their skin. Interesting. Uh, domestic chickens have been selectively bred for thousands of years to extend that laying period and reduce the instinct to go broody. Commercial egg-laying breeds will lay one egg a day year-round. After a couple of years, the frequency of the laying diminishes. However, commercial egg-layers never see this because they're only used for a year, then... Oh, okay. And turn into dog food. Uh, <laughs> turkeys, turkeys, which have only been domesticated for a few centuries, still only lay eggs for a few weeks in the spring. So we were correct in that the eggs are more valuable as turkeys... Uh, as turkeys so are rarely available as eggs. Uh, however... If you ever get the chance to eat a turkey egg, don't pass it up. They're the richest, most delicious you'll ever, eggs you'll ever eat and have unique taste that blows chicken eggs away. Yeah. Turkey eggs. Fuck you, chicken eggs. Yeah. <laughs> You've been eating too good for too long. <laughs> <laughs> you have blown away. I've never had a turkey egg. I don't think I have either. No, I definitely I love haven't. turkey. Like Really? I, I love think turkey's turkey. the most overrated meat. It's always dry. You have to I, work so hard to not make it dry. It's very dry, but I, I there's something about it that I really, really like. There's like... A positive memory associations maybe or? maybe it's just you know positive thanksgiving memories but like i'll eat turkey anytime i love yeah. turkey if you get enough dark meat specifically gravy or cranberry sauce or something to moisten it up but yeah. like just imagine having a mouthful of dry turkey meat and trying to get through that it's, it's like <laughs> it's like when you eat too many carrots at once you're like oh what have i got myself into this is like half an hour of chewing <laughs> out of me. uh by the way the two things that i think we should plug for sarah she fully blown is the name of the web series that she on, which is on BBC, but they put it out on YouTube as well. And we can link to that. Blown. She co-wrote and helped the creators craft. Um, and also The Fear is her podcast. Oh, yeah. Where you can listen to episodes with people like Matt Kirshen from the Probably Science Ooh. podcast. Ooh. And others. Nice discussed? get. I don't even remember what we did in the end. Because so you do three. I think. And also we recorded two episodes. And then I think. I can't remember whether both of them went out or just one of them. That's a lot of fear. I think I sort of did an early pilot of it, and now I can't remember which I picked. Oh, okay. So I will also have to listen to that episode to now work it out. Fully blown. We will link to that in the show. We notes. totally will. Do we have time I for have one more story, Andy? Do you have one on deck? I guess I do. I guess I could, maybe. I know we have a double header today, so as long as we're okay on time. Yeah, I think I, uh, we don't yet have a... Our guest for next week is probably about to arrive any second now, but we can squeeze in one extra sure. story. He'll be late. 
Perfect. <laughs> I should point out that he is a good friend of yours. Yes, we know each other. We ran into each other. At, you both ended up on the show after I ran into both of you having brunch together yesterday. Yes. Yeah, we were on the same spot. Where'd you guys go? Fred, 62. Oh, that's right. Classic. It's a good spot. Classic Hollywood hang. Any sightings? Uh, Matt Kirshen and oh. Shane Torres. Ooh. Yeah. Has Shane been on the show? Was he he has the show? been on the show. Friend been. of the show, Shane Torres. All Happy right. belated birthday, Shane, if you're listening. That's right. Very funny guy. Hey, we're going to just cut into this episode quickly to thank the people who've gone to probablyscience.com and clicked on the PayPal and Patreon links and donated money to us. There are monthly donations that have come through from R.L. Kappa, Jake Swenson, Lindsay Bacon, Trevor Hubbard, William Bagley, John Clarici, Oren Harris, Destruction Lane, Sean Gordon, David Geelan, Bryson Rose, Becky Grady, Jacob Rochester, Drew Chapman, Pandora Young, and Callum Gleason. And then there are one-off donations from Markella, uh, Nicola Polo. Hang on, sorry. Let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have another run at it because there's a pronunciation guide at the end. Markella, uh, Nicola Polo, Themel. Thank you. Who has just gone through the entire backlog? You idiot. But thank <laughs> you. We really appreciate it. Started right at the beginning. What well, I don't know what your head's doing right now and also paula sari and elizabeth powell's one-off donations as well thank you very much all of you we really appreciate it and you've got some patreon people loaded up yeah i think i will do half of well even that is a large number of people so let me just do a an alphabetical let's do a through l here real quick for some of our patrons (laughs) and we'll thank some others later in a future episode thank you so much a boring potato ada terrell Alexander D. Something, Allison Dennis, Andre Stetsenko, Andrew Foote, Andrew Schenkel, Austin Walsworth, Austin Flanagan, BJ Slater, Brian Speaker, Brody Chandler, Bruce Mason, Kara Thompson, Sierra Dwin, Charlotte Hollandale, Chris Bednors, Christina, Christopher Louder, Crispin Crunch, Dan Monson, Daniel Gunn, Daniel Nitsch, Daniel Paulil and Chantal Parent, Dave, David Newstein, David O'Flixton, David Smith, David Toyn, David Wirtz, we're a very David heavy podcast, Dr. Tasty Taster, Ebola Cereal, <laughs> Elaine Van Bergen, Dubs 42 Emma Wilton, Eric Roberts, not that Eric Roberts, Farty McPooper, Gavin Delbroy, <laughs> we have the best listeners, George Green, Giovanni Sanchez, Glenn George, Graphite Samurai, Greg Der Anian, Greg Van Gorder, Gus Russell McNall, Hannah. Heather Gentry, Hugh Randolph, Ian Walker, Jason Shoemaker, Jacob Decker, Jackie B, Jake Adrianson, Jake Specht, Jake Swenson, James Casson, James Milner, J.D. Denholm, Jeff Reeder, Jen Allen, Jeremy, Jeremy Walker, Jesper Peterson, Jim Roscoe's, John Hood, Judy Wareth, Justin McDowell, Justin Turner, Katsu.hu, Keith and Loretta, Kim Chatsy, Kirsty So, Crichton, Kyle Anderson, Kyle S. Lamb, Linda Moulton, Logan, Luke B., Thank you all so much. We've got to figure out a Thank better you. way. We've to... got to work out a better system. But in the meantime, we will do the others yes, later on. We appreciate Thank all you. Thank you so much. We appreciate the one-off generous donations and the uh, and the monthly ones. Everyone who does. Thank you. It's yes. very, very kind of you. It's very cool. You guys Thanks for helping us keep this going. Back okay. to the episode. There, there has been one more. Old, but there's been a very biology-heavy story. Uh, but there has been another old bird found. That oh, was sent yeah. into our Facebook. Ooh. Ancient seabird fossil found in North Canterbury thrills scientist force, f- scientists forces rethink that's sent in by Lance Millam it's from I'm guessing a New Zealander because it's a New Zealand story maybe I'm wrong maybe maybe it's not a Kiwi and he just sent in a Kiwi bait story 
I put that at the top of the show notes there, Andy. Okay. The discovery of a toothed seabird fossil north of Christchurch is forcing scientists to rethink theories of the bird's evolution. A fossil of a prodontoteryx. God, I always end up... Opteryx. Opteryx? Oh, prodontopteryx. There we go. Is believed to have lived 62 million years ago and was found at the Waipara Greensland site in North Canterbury last year. The petrified remains delighted amateur paleontologist Lee Love, who found and named the species uh, Prodontopteryx ruthi after his wife Ruth for indulging his interest in the field. Thank you, Ruth. (laughs) She is so indulgent. She loves it. (laughs) That Ruth. If she's not indulging interest, she's... No, a toothy bird is named after her. (laughs) (laughs) The toothiest. Yeah, beautiful toothy bird, Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) She's a toothy bird, isn't she? I know it's not a New Zealand accent at all. Uh, uh, Our our next guest has just texted to say he'll be here in eight minutes. Perfect. Perfect timing. It is one of the oldest named bird... I should say... Hang on. I've passed that sentence wrongly. It is one of the oldest... Named, named bird species, species in the world, rather than it's the one of the oldest named birds. Old name. Like Ruth is a Ruth kind is of a old, pretty name. old name. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fair. I don't know any Ruths. Do you guys? I nope. don't know many. Yo- I know one young Ruth. I don't know a young most Ruth. Ruths. Do? I, I do, but most Ruths I know of are like older generation. And they were at your gig the other night. Yeah, last night. Yeah, the only older named bird species that there's a Mavis. Yeah, there's a, a Edith. <laughs> Mavis Ceratops. My grandma and her two sisters had the best grandma names. They were Edith, Elsie, and Hazel. Those are great. Those are solid grandma names. Elsie and Hazel, though, those are good. Those are good young people. Those coming back now? I think they should. Yeah, it always skips a generation. So now, like, the grandfather and grandmother names are coming back round again. Now you've got babies with them. But Ruth is in that kind of middle ground where it's like it hasn't quite hit the kind of cute grandma now becomes young name again. Like right. next generation, you can get in early kids, on Ruth. Kids nowadays, their kids will. There'll be some. Uh, I reckon there'll be a, like a resurgence of Ruths. Yeah, my my. So my sister just had a kid. So I just had my my first uh, niece, and uh, oh, her name's Nora. Thank you. Her name's Nora, and I never. I don't know. I know one Nora who's like in her f- late forties. Right. I've never met a Nora, and I've since I I met my niece in England two months ago, and since I've been back, I've met three Noras. Yeah, it's going to come around. And I don't know if it's like the thing where just like now I'm aware of it. I'm hyper aware of it because it's my niece's name or if it's like now Nora is just a hot name now. Yeah, that's the danger, I guess, if you're in on the ground floor of it, then it because I mean, I think it's it is an advantage to give your kid a name where they don't have to be one of five in their class. Like, so if you're Ruth, you're just Ruth. You don't have to be like smelly Ruth or whatever else would distinguish you from other Ruth. (laughs) Well, I'm so your class. So yeah, my name is Matt, right? and mean, my my dad always said that he named me Matthew because he'd only known one his entire life, and, what? There, and there were three what? in my kindergarten class. Yeah, there are more Matts than any other name. Right, it's in, just, in, no, in the history of I have a spreadsheet of everyone who's done Bridgetown. In like what years? <laughs> when I was still doing that. Really? Eight hundred people on this list, and there are like. 23 mats yeah. there are a lot of comedy there, yeah. there are enough com- I did a show once at the improv that was just comedy mats really that's and, so funny and in fact there's and kind of insulting that I wasn't on it no, right <laughs> there's there's almost enough to do comedy Matt K's as a oh no I can't think of any other Matt K's Knutson oh god yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a Matt King there's actually a Matt Kirsch who used to do who's does comedy yeah there's an Andy Woodhull who's more successful than I am that's kind of frustrating <laughs> he's a great guy uh, there's Monroe Martin who's better than me Oh, yeah, I know Monroe, yeah. But I don't know any Matt Monroes other than the singer, the British singer that has passed away. What? 
Matt Monroe. He's saying from lost to Matt Monroe. Yeah, from Russia with Love. He's a cro- British crooner from the sixties. Oh. He screws up all my Google results. <laughs> Damn it! Now there's an Andy Wood who's like there's Andrew Wood from Mother Love Bone, the Pearl Jam precursor. Oh yeah. And now there's an Andy Wood on Instagram who's like fucking phenomenal guitarist and like I dabble in guitar, but this guy. <laughs> Like any Andy Wood searches now, bring up this guy. He's got like Matt, fifty thousand followers. And Matt Monroe, by the way, was originally called Terence Edward Parsons. Is that his actual name? That was his real name. Changed it to Matt Monroe. A, this son of a bitch. I know. And he had top ten UK hits, including "Portrait of My Love," "My Kind of Girl," "Softly as I Leave You," "Walk Away," and a cover of "Yesterday." Yeah. And he did the theme for "From Russia with Love." "From right. Russia with Love." You know. So, real quick story about this guy. And "Born I, Free" as well. Yeah. So I he wanted was born to born free. That's great. <laughs> yeah, but that that uh, I think is that the born free. Yeah, I don't know that one. I don't think as free is that the one as free as the wind blow. <laughs> so this guy case. spells his last name M O N R O. I spell it with an E. Okay, but so I went. I wanted to register mattmonroe.com, obviously, and I went to it. But in that mattmonroe.com with an E redirects to mattmonroe without an E dot com, oh, and it's to sell his so book that free. his daughter wrote. So, hold on. So, I actually emailed his daughter, and I was like, hey, my name is Matt Monroe. I'm a comedian. I would love to own mattmonroe.com, and you're just using it as a redirect for this book. Would you mind? And I buy it from you. And her initial email was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, oh. I don't really need it, which was super cool. And then she's like, just let me know what I need to do. And so, I sent her, like, you know, I'm sort of in that business. So, I sent her, like, instructions on how to re-register deregister the domain and how to transfer it to me yeah. and how I would send her money and then she didn't respond for two weeks and then sent me an email like I'm too old for this I don't understand oh. and then that was it <laughs> I was like ah and there's no way you could just like no. do some remote no. thing for her that uh, no sorry. and they've actually re-registered it now for like another seven years because it was going to expire last year awesome as free as the wind I'd never heard this it's my dude That's the name of the book she wrote, too, I think, is Born, born free. free. Is he born free or is he from Russia? Those <laughs> seem to be... Right, that's enough of that. It was... It won the 1966 Academy Award for Best Song. Yeah. Which... From Russia with Love? Or? No, for Born Free, what we yeah. just heard that you've never oh, heard before. It's from a movie? It was for the movie Born Free. Oh, I don't know that either. <laughs> yeah, he like he's like legit, and he, I can't get any kind of Google results because it all just redirects to him, even though we spell our names differently. Uh, yeah, it beat, uh, it beat out Alfie, the song Alfie from the movie Alfie, written by Burt <laughs> Bacharach and Hal David. Back when every movie had to have a song that was its. It's title. hard to beat Bacharach <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, beat Bacharach. Be- also beat Georgie Girl from the movie Georgie Girl. <laughs> They're all just the same. <laughs> Uh, Beat Raiders of the Lost Ark from Raiders, Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark. We're the Raiders, the Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. Uh, it also beat the, the other two that were not that pattern. It beat A Time for Love from from American An American Dream and My Wishing Doll from the movie Hawaii. I don't know any. I've of never these heard movies. of these movies. No, nor have I. They're gonna be in the sixties, right? Sixty six. Yeah. I guess I've heard of Alfie. That's the um, Michael yeah, Caine. It is. He he reprised, or he. Was in the remake with Jude Law, but as a different character or something? I believe so. I haven't seen it, though. I do miss a good a movie song where the song just tells the plot of the movie. <laughs> yep. That, like, Eastbound and Down, like, 
It's great. So like here, here is the here's the driving thing behind the plot. There's, they're thirsty in Atlanta. There's beer in Texarkana. <laughs> <laughs> so it is one of the oldest bit named bird species in the world. Remember that? <laughs> yes, that's right. Ruth's Chris and, bird house and the oldest bony tooth bird or or pelagornid pelagornid to be found south of the equator. Canterbury Museum curator Paul Schofield said the bony tooth-like projections on the beach turned over commonly held views on the development of seabirds until we found this skeleton all the really old uh, pelagornithids pelagornithids have been found in the northern hemisphere so everyone thought they evolved up there said Dr. Schofield that's Gerald, always what I thought yeah you, you were saying that just yeah, over yeah, drinks the other night <laughs> <laughs> Gerald Mayer of the Frankfurt based Natural History Museum said, declared the finds truly amazing and unexpected not only is the fossil one of the most complete specimens of a pseudo-toothed bird, but it also shows a number of unexpected ske- skeletal features that contribute to a better understanding of the evolution of these enigmatic birds. Scientists believe that the ancient beaks were designed for catching fish and soft-bodied prey like squids. The bony toothed birds would evolve to boost wingspans, sorry, to boast wingspans greater than six meters long. Jeez, Holy shit! Wow. The length of an average modern-day elephant. The last... Pelagonithid species did, died before modern humans evolved around two and a half million years ago. ago. The Waipara Greensland site also yielded fossils of an ancient penguin, which stood 1.6 meters tall. You might know that from probably science podcast and the old, world's oldest tropic bird fossil. They're all being displayed in an exhibition at the Canterbury Museum later this year. Sounds cool. Cool giant beaked get, birds. Get yourself Ruth. over there. Hey, Matt. What website can our listeners now find yeah, you at? Right? Uh, <laughs> where can I, where can our listeners find you without well, being redirected to some other? If you want to be, if you want to, if you want to buy that Born Free book, uh, it's it's mattmonroe.com. Uh, if you want to see, any, if you want to see me, is. yeah, either way, if you want to see me, it's mattmonroeastronaut.com. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at me like are you serious and you are, you are serious. 100% serious. 100% serious we will definitely link to that the reason I did that was because as you guys know when a comedian can't get his name they do comedian uh, yeah. so it will be like Matt Monroe comedian and I always think that that's very silly to me so yep. I was just like what's the opposite of a comedian and I was like an astronaut <laughs> it's probably the opposite yeah, yeah. Didn't, uh, I think is it Lisa Curry who has a an athlete Oh, Olympian Lisa yeah, Curry. So she, yeah, her is Instagram is Olympian. Yeah, she's Olympian got a, there is an Olympian namesake of hers, so she has registered Olympian Lisa Curry. That's as very her. funny. I think John Daly's tried to also outsmart search engine optimization for the golfer John Daly. He's done some like things yeah, in like sketches. wearing a fat suit as th- that he hopes will come up when you search yeah. John Daly. We should go and let Troy in because he's outside, apparently. We should. Oh, and you should also go to mattmonroe.com because it's also a comically bad website. Oh, it's awful. It's like GeoCities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. She's like 65 as daughter. Oh. <laughs> She's not listening. But go to mattmonroeastronaut.com and you can follow us at Probably Science on all the platforms, Twitter, well, I guess not Instagram. We've got to get that going. Uh, Twitter, Facebook. I'm you guys at, don't have an IG? I know. Uh, how, how do we start it now? It's too late. No, it's it? not. You it's, guys you have a following. People like it. We used to it. take pictures at every every time we do a shoot in the backyard, but now we're just in my living room and it's not very... Well, should we do a Patreon bonus one story with both guests as Ooh, like a kind of... I like that idea. Yeah, thank you, maybe patrons, we'll, for Maybe subscribing. we'll do that. Yeah. And, and we'll, fa- we'll thank donors and patrons on the next episode that you're about to... Well, yep. The, but You'll quite, hear next week. Well, maybe we'll drop it into the middle of this one. We'll see. We'll see okay. how it goes. Yeah. But any questions, comments, clarifications, probably science at gmail.com. Uh, you could tweet us at probably science, individually at Andy Dewood, at Matt Kirshen, mm-hmm. Matt Monroe, astronaut. 
MattMonroeAstronaut.com and Hey Monroe on Twitter and Instagram. Listeners, thank you so much. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.